thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. And how can you not be inspired in all of this love? And thank you, Gary, for that wonderful meditation to anchor us all in love. You know, when Roxanne came to me and said, um, I'd like you to say a few words about love, I felt honored, of course. But then I thought, what the heck am I going to say <laughs> about love that has not been said so beautifully by so many others before me? And you know, as I reflected, I thought, well, the best that I can do is share with you a story. And so I'm going to share with you my story of how love, which to me is the essence of this Christ consciousness that we're talking about, how that love was awakened in me despite me. Okay? Now, as Linda so wonderfully mentioned, yes, um, I am a pilgrim. Has anybody not heard this story? You all know that, you know, I walked from Rome to Jerusalem, and it was a pilgrimage of the heart. It was a pilgrimage of the soul, and um, an attempt on my part to connect with that sacred part of me. And I was not always a willing participant in that journey, <laughs> as love was continually demonstrating itself to me. And so um, the journey really began before I even took my first steps to go to Jerusalem. I had been, I had finished walking the Camino, I was still in Europe, I had felt this calling to do this pilgrimage from Rome to Jerusalem, and I found out about a woman named Johanna, who is a Dutch pilgrim who had walked in her 50s from Amsterdam to Jerusalem. She just drew a straight line and walked that path. And I found out where she lived, I contacted her, and I said, can I, you know, can I just come see you? Can I speak with you? And she was, yes, of course, you know, come. And so I went to the Netherlands. And the only four people I actually saw in the Netherlands, curiously enough, were two other pilgrims, Jose, Joka, Jeanette, and Johanna. <laughs> All versions of John. <laughs> I, I didn't clue in in the beginning, but I would later. And so I'm meeting with Johanna, and she's get showing me her route, and she's giving me all kinds of advice. And we're just, you know, she's a deeply spiritual woman, a very, a very mystical woman. And she tells me she's studying the Kabbalah. Now, I know nothing about the Kabbalah, and she's all excited, and she's bringing out these cards sh that she had created, white cards, uh, with each card having a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, because each letter has significance and deep mystical meaning. And she's all excited, and, I'm, and all I'm thinking is, wow, isn't it a weird coincidence that she's talking to me about something from a land that I'm going to, <laughs> just right now, from the Holy Land? And so she goes, well, you know what? I want you to choose a card. So she shuffles the cards as if they were you know, a deck of cards, and she says, choose a card. And in fact, I'm going to bring the card that I chose. I chose this card which to me looked very pretty, but I didn't know what it meant. And she says to me, oh, that is Yod, God. It is the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But she goes, it's the most important letter because it is part of all the other letters. It is God. It is a sign for you of God's omnipresence and God's presence in your journey right now. And I was all excited about it too. It's like, yes, this is confirmation. This is confirmation that I am on the right path. But I looked at it as this God out there is with me as I am on my journey, making it possible. So to me, it was out there. It wasn't in me. It wasn't me. And even when I got to Jerusalem, not Jerusalem, to Rome, I went to the Vatican, and I actually attended a Mass with Pope John, <laughs> Paul <laughs> uh, II, and his Mass and his blessing 
was around the time when Moses had just led his people across the Red Sea and the sea had closed in on Pharaoh and all his people. And Moses was standing and marveling at the magnificence of his God and how blessed he was to be able to embark on this journey to the Holy Land. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, once again, this connection to the Holy Land, another blessing that I am indeed on this right path. But again, it's outside of me. It's a love that's outside of me, accompanying me as I walk this journey. It wasn't until maybe around three months of walking. I had just finished, we had finished walking through Italy. We had finished Slovenia, had entered Croatia, that I felt there was a shift in the conversation that was happening with the universe and I. All of a sudden, within the space of like, it was about a week of very intensely receiving all kinds of omens around a couple of things. One was roses. Everywhere that I went, the smell of roses. We're talking February here. This is February. It's not like rose season. Roses. Or I would walk to a place and not only would I smell roses, but there would be like fresh bouquets of roses. I would see pictures with roses everywhere. Just like, well, this is really weird to be seeing all these roses. But I paid attention. I started also getting a lot more intense kind of um, calls to pay attention to the word John. John, Ivan, which is the Croatian version of John, Giovanni, the Italian version of John, John everywhere, to the point where I thought, okay, I remembered, oh, Johanna, there was Johanna, there was Jeanette, there was John Paul. Okay, well, maybe there is something there for me I need to investigate. So it got to the point where I thought, well, maybe there's something around the gospel of John. Like, okay, well, even in Croatia, I asked a priest that I had, we were staying with, I said, would you happen to have like a something with the gospel of John in English that I could read? And would you believe he did? <laughs> so I flipped through it, and I'm trying to understand if there was something in there for John, with John for me. And I, bless you, bless you both. <laughs> and I didn't see it right away, but I would learn much later that the greatest teaching of the gospel of John is, God is love. And where is that love? Right here. But I didn't see it then. And in Croatia is when I felt a more intense kind of calling to study the teachings of Jesus. Now, I immediately dismissed that because I thought, well, we are staying in churches and in monasteries everywhere that we go. So, of course, I'm going to be seeing the figure of Jesus everywhere. So that can't be a legitimate sign at all. And so I kept dismissing it. But it was very, very clear, like very insistent that, no, 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 you need to pay attention to the teachings of Jesus. And I remember the day of kind of how it kind of came full circle to me. We had arrived in a town called Rijeka on the Croatian coastline. And as we was our custom, we asked, you know, where is the first church or monastery that we can go to to find shelter? And this time the people kept saying, Tursat, Tursat. I was like, okay, so we followed the path to Tursat. And it turns out that Tursat was or is um, a very well-known site of pilgrimage and of miracles, of miracles that were attributed to the Lady of Tursat because it is believed that at one time the house of Mary and Jesus and Joseph was transported by angels from Jerusalem to its final resting place in a place called Loreto in Italy, but it made a stop at this place called Tursat. And so I believe that the Holy House was there once before it continued its journey onto Loreto. 
It was during the Muslim invasion of Jerusalem, so the story goes. And when you walk in, all you see is devotion to the lady of Tirsat, to the mother, to the holy mother. And you see crutches, wheelchairs, um, all kinds of um, objects that people had left behind as a way of saying thank you to the miracles that the lady of Tirsat had granted them for health in their lives. It was very touching, it was very moving to be in this kind of place. And it also happens to be the place that St. Francis had stopped at on his pilgrimage going to Jerusalem. It's like, okay, when I felt all of that, it's like something is going to happen here, something important is happening here. One of the monks who, was, who had received us and was going to help us find a place to stay says to me, oh, I need to give you some gifts. And he comes back and he gives me a rosary and it's a rosary with, uh, at the end of it, had, um, the figure, uh, had the cross and the figure of Jesus on the cross. So I took it and I said, thank you. And then he goes, I don't know why, but I feel like I need to give you this. And he gives me this. It's the weeping mystic rose. It's another lady of the roses. Okay? That one, when I got that one, I was just shaking. Okay. The roses, the rosary. Okay, I'm, I'm paying attention. So I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to go meditate and see what happens. So I go inside the church and I sit quietly and, and I'm, I have my hands in my, in my pocket and I could feel the rosary in my pocket. And so I pull it out. Now I will say I'm, I'm not a Christian. I'm, if I'm, you're going to ask me the religion, I will say I was baptized in the Greek Orthodox Church, but really never practiced any religion. I really saw myself as somebody who was um, a deeply spiritual being and love, if I was going to choose a religion, love is my religion. And whatever path takes you there is, is wonderful. And so I'm sitting down and I, and I can feel the rosary in my pocket. So I, you know, I put, take it out and I'm holding the rosary. And all of a sudden, in an instant, I felt a rush. It was just, I can't explain it any better than a rush of emotion and a rush of love that just completely enveloped me. It was around me, but more importantly, it was inside of me. And it almost brought me to my knees. I was started to cry for the love that I was feeling. And I understood in that instant that it was an invitation to understand what the teaching of love was really all about. It wasn't what the church was describing as the life and teaching of Jesus, but it was understanding that he was, here was another individual who understood and unfolded that power of love within himself and was here to teach me and to show me how to do it for myself as well. It was hard to accept in that moment. And the mind always kind of plays, my mind anyways, was always going, was that real? Like, is that really what was happening? Or is it really something else? And so the moment, it was an instant, it happened, and then it passed. And then we needed to continue walking again. So I'm walking and I'm reflecting on it. And I'm continuing to get signs as I'm walking for the rose, for Jesus. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to continue to pay attention. A few days later, Alberto and I arrive into a small town on the Croatian coastline. And this was the place where Alberto had said to me that he would like to walk ahead of me. This was the place where we would separate. And he went ahead, curiously enough, to go to a place called Medjugorje, where the Lady of Peace is supposed to be. This is a, mar a site of Marian apparitions, like Lourdes and Fatima, where they believe the Lady of Peace appeared to children as well. And he felt called to go walk, to arrive there by a certain date. 
And I said to him, I can't because I had terrible blisters and I needed a day or two to recover so I could keep walking. And the idea was he would walk ahead and I would just be behind him by a day or two. We ended up being apart for 40 days by a whole other sense of adventures that happened there. <laughs> but the day that he left and that I was alone, I was received into the home of a wonderful priest. Um, and he said to me that evening, he goes, I want you to come to Mass tonight. I'd like you to come to Mass and to receive communion. And it's happened before where a priest had asked us, and, that we, and when they discovered that I wasn't Catholic and not baptized in the Catholic Church, they would normally say, we can't do that. And so I said to him, thank you, but you know, I'm not Catholic. And he goes to me, mea culpa, <laughs> mea culpa. <laughs> You're a pilgrim. And he goes, it's important that you receive into the temple the Christ within. By then I was, <laughs> I was shaking. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm going to go. Um, and so he leads me, and it was nighttime. We go, we walk the short distance to the church. Um, he opens up, the turns on the lights, and when I step in, all I see in front of me, and I wish I had that picture, is nothing more in an oval. Imagine an oval-shaped kind of uh, frame, and inside of it is the face of Jesus from here holding the bread and the wine. That's all that was there at the altar. It's an unusual, actually, altar, because normally you see all kinds of other, like the crucifix and other things. But this is what was at the altar. And as the priest prepared, you know, did the mass and then communion, he invited me to come up to take communion. To me, that was the final ritual. All that had been outside as the signs, as the as the outer manifestation saying, you know, the roses and the rosary and the Jesus, all of it was leading me where? To this moment where you can now internalize that you are this Christ presence and it is in you. And it is now the moment to fully allow the Christ in its temple where it belongs and allow it to be the king on its throne. And so when I went up to take communion, you know, would you believe I hesitated? I hesitated for a moment and I thought, I, I don't know if I'm worthy of receiving all of this intense love. You know, because I still get angry. I still swear at people. <laughs> I still, you know, I am not, you know, I still have fear. I still have doubts. And I'm not sure that I'm worthy of receiving all of this love. And as I'm standing there, I hear very clearly in my own kind of mind saying uh, the words, you are worthy. You are, have always been worthy because you are a child of God. Just as every one of us here is a child of God, you are worthy of love because that is who you are. And when I actually took the, the, the bread and the wine um, and received symbolically in a ritual that which was already inside of me, I understood that the real work for me was to learn to love myself in the same way that the Christ or Jesus or that God loves me. The real work was to see that divinity, that beautiful spirit that's in this physical body on this journey, to love that with the same power and intensity that this outside Jesus or God also loves me. And that's not an easy journey. Not an easy journey at all. But I committed to that. 
And after that, there would be so many more as I continued walking. There would be so many more instances where that love and the opportunity to remember that this is who you are would be revealed. But the work continues to this day. Today, how do you do that? How do you stay anchored in this knowing that you are love in every single moment? And I can tell you, one of the practices that most helped me for the longest time, and I still use it occasionally now, is Ho'oponopono. You know, do you, have you all heard of Ho'oponopono? The I love you, you know, thank you, and I'm sorry, please forgive me. <coughs> what I especially loved about it was the I love you. Because the I love you was directed at me. It wasn't directed at an outside source. It was a reminder to say, okay, Moni, you have this experience in your life that you don't like. It's okay. Moni, I love you. I love you because this is now something inside of you that's manifesting in your life that's showing you that it needs to be healed. It needs love. It needs to be addressed. So thank you. Thank you for showing this part of me that's in me out in my reality. I'm sorry that I did this because I didn't know any better. Please forgive me. I'm talking to me. I'm not talking to an outside power. That was what I love about Ho'oponopono. It's me saying I love you to me. And I l used it for many, for many years. And about a couple of weeks ago, I uh, found out about this man, this teacher named Matt Kahn. Have you heard of him? Has anybody here heard of him? The Love Revolution? Oh my God. Just look up the word Ma Matt Kahn. He's essentially taken the word, I love you, out of that Ho'oponopono and exploded it. It is love in action. So essentially it's, I love you in every instant of your life. To say I love you to you is incredibly powerful. We don't do it enough to say I love you. You know what, Moni? I love you. I will sit in my meditation. This is now my daily meditation. After I do my little bit of yoga in the morning, I will sit, and when I close my eyes, I will direct my attention, not to my third eye, which I've been you know, you're taught to do. I direct it to my heart. And there I go, I love you. I love you. And it's uncomfortable in the beginning to direct so much intense love at yourself, to your heart, to that divine part that you are, to this wonderful spirit that is here. I love you. Harder still is the next step, which is to say, when I've messed up and I've done something wrong, or I've judged somebody, I love you, Moni. <laughs> I love you. When I get impatient, when somebody mentioned being impatient in the line at the checkout counter when you're trying to buy all your stuff, I love you. I love that part of me that's judging right now. I love that impatient part of me that says, I need to get this done right now so I can get the heck out of here and do all the other things on my list. I love you. If you can feel the power of those words and apply them to you in every moment, they transform you because you are loving yourself in every moment. I actually sit in the car. I used to sit and you know, turn on the radio and listen to the music, and now I just sit in the car and I go, I love you. I love you. We want to be love in the world? Well, we have to say it to ourselves <laughs> first. And not just as an abstract, I am love, which I, I did for many years, but there was always something missing. 
And until I said the words, I love you, something shifted with that. So I love you has become my daily practice. And breathing, by the way, when you breathe in, you're in it's inspiration. What is inspiration? Inspiration is what? It's God. Inspiration is love. So you are receiving it whether you want to or not. You are breathing because you can't stop not breathing. You are breathing. And so inspiration, love, divinity is physically coming into you in every moment that you're breathing, but we're not aware of it. And when you combine that, recognizing that this is God coming in you, and I love you, it's incredibly powerful. Then when you're filled with love, can you send it out into the world? Because you just can't help it. It's like the trees, I love you. The birds, I love you. You, I love you. It's love. You are that now in full expression. The harder work still is now seeing that same love to those whose ideas, whose personalities we completely disagree with. The ones that we look at on the news, for example, let's say politicians, leaders of all kinds, and we see and we hear the words that they're putting out there and the energies that they're putting forward. Can we still see the light in them? Can I look at them and say the same light that and the same love that has now anchored in me and that has grown fully in me, can I see that in you? That is the work of a true master, to look at that individual and see them as your brother on the journey, your sister on the journey. And my job, even though I can't change what they're doing or saying, or so I think on the physical realms, I can look at them and say, I see that light. I see it. You may not see it, and until you do, I will see it for you, and I will awaken it in you, and I will see you in front of me with that light spreading and growing and growing until it completely engulfs every word, every thought, every act that comes from you. And I will do that for you until you're able to do it for yourself. Because maybe I can't physically change them, but I can do that for them. Because if I see them as being whatever they are, if I judge them, I hold them forever in that place that they are incapable of change. And if in my mind they are incapable of change, guess what? They're incapable of change. They're not going to change. There is no other aspect of them that I'm able to see. But if I'm able to pull out that other aspect that is much harder to see behind all of the words and all of the, the hate that they put out, that becomes the journey of a true master, okay? So this is part of my practice when I'm centered. <laughs> I can't say I'm centered all the time. That would be like, a, yeah, I wish. <laughs> I'm working towards that, but I understand that that is truly the work of those of us here who believe that love is who, what our essence is. This is who we are. This is the Christ consciousness in action. And you know what? The moments that I can't do it, the moment that I can't, you know, that I, I am in judgment or I do condemn what they're saying or what they're doing, I take a deep breath. I go, it's okay. Moni, I love you. I'm going to love that part that can't quite love the other yet. Because <laughs> we're all here, you know, spiritual people. I should be able to be loving. I should be able to do that. That's okay. That's all right. Um, I can't do it yet. At least I'm not condemning myself. So let's start by saying, I love you. I'm doing my best. 
And as I get better, and as I become more anchored in love, I will be able to do that. Do that. So thank you for that. So that's really it. The, it's an ongoing journey. I love you are the most powerful words that I have seen, that I have found so far. So simple, so simple. I love you. I love you here. I love the spirit that I am. I love this divine soul that is here. I love every part of me. Love, that is the key. And when we're able to fill ourselves with that love, there is no way that we cannot but help to change the world. That is, to me, love and the Christ consciousness in action. Thank you all so much. And I love you. <laughs> <laughs>